If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, good morning. Uh, whether you're gathered uh, in your group or you're with your family, or maybe a friend of you, uh, a friend of yours, uh, gave this to you to, to watch. Uh, so glad that you take this time to, to join with us online in this very, very unique season. This morning, I, I want to speak to you out of Ephesians 3, and we're actually going to continue uh, in our series of seven words that will change your life. It just so happens in the providence of God that what we had to talk about today is going to speak right into our situation, uh, because the, the Apostle Paul out of Ephesians 3 he says that in the midst, of, in, the, in the context of suffering, he said there's something that we really, really need to get a hold of. And, and he uh, mentions that in Ephesians 3. So we're going to look at that today. And it really gets at the heart of what Christianity is all about. So if you were to, you know, pose the question, what is Christianity? Some people uh, say it's a philosophy. Some people say, you know, it's an ethical stance. It's a belief system. But here's what Christianity is. Christianity at its heart uh, is this. It is an invitation to be in relationship with the God of the universe. The Christian claim isn't simply to believe in God or that they worship God. Uh, the claim isn't that they serve God or even know facts about God, but they experientially know God. The Christian claims that they have a personal, intimate relationship, that they have fellowship with God. It's, it's not to enter religion. It's not to uh, enter into any kind of an ism. It's to enter into a relationship. And this is what uh, John wrote in his um, gospel, John 17. He says, now this is eternal life, so that you may uh, that they may know you, that they may know God. That is what he's called us into. He's called us into a relationship where we, where we know him. We know him experientially. Uh, this means that there's nothing better in life than to have an ongoing real relationship with the living God. It's better than any relationship. It's better than any job. It's better than uh, any amount of money. And so that's a question I just want to ask you. I mean, I know you're maybe you're gathering around with your family. You're, you're in your community group. You may be around people who know God, but do you know God? Uh, not just know about him, but do you experientially know him? Do you, can you say from uh, your inmost being what, what David writes in uh, Psalm uh, 68? He says, uh, 63, he says, excuse me, it says, your steadfast love is better than life. I mean, that's something that to grab a hold of in this season, to, to know that the steadfast love of the Lord, it's even better than life. And what Paul's talking about, what we want to talk about today is having a robust inner life. We all want a robust outer life, right? Like we want a good paying job, we want lots of friends, healthy kids, those kinds of things. But what we really need, what Paul really is saying is that in order to have the things that we really want, which is joy, significance, security, those things come from having not a robust outer life, but a robust inner life. Um, so if you were to ask yourself, what do, what, do, what do I really need more of? Like, you know, do I need more toilet paper, right? And there's none left at Costco, by the way. If you go there, they don't have any more. I've checked. Do you need more test kits? Do you need more, uh, uh, more money, more, more whatever? Well, what we really need more of is we need more robust inner life. Uh, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. So uh, we're in Ephesians 3. I have this on the screen uh, for you, the sanitized screen. It says this, for this reason, Paul's writing, he tells us out of, he gives us context in verse 13, which go back later. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. 
So we're talking about something significant here. Through his spirit, that's how we get it, in your inner being. So being strengthened in your inner being, he continues. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend. Now, I'm going to underline this with all the saints. Um, just to say in this season where it's going to be challenging to get together, uh, you know, we're not going to be meeting in person. And uh, just to say that in order to really have uh, what's going to get you through this season, it is important to know that this is something that happens with all the saints. So it's, it's a community thing. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So there's, there's a kind of knowledge that goes beyond just facts, is what he's saying. That you may be filled with all fullness of God. And then check this out. Now to him who's able to do far, here's our word for the day, more. We need more. Not, a more, not, a, not more of an outer life, more of an inner life. We need more abundantly than all we can ask or think. According to the power at work with uh, within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And if we were all here together, we would say amen. We need more of him. More is a word that can change your life. And that more is more of him. Uh, the, the thing that you need right now more than anything is, is you need more of him. I, the, the thing that I need more than anything right now is I need more of him. And I just want to point your attention to just the importance and the priority of, of knowing him more. Uh, what's interesting in this text is the context, context excuse me, for which it's written. Um, <clears throat> he says in verse 13 that he doesn't want them to lose heart because he's suffering. And so the context is suffering. And in particular, their suffering and even more so his suffering. He's writing this in prison. I mean, he's writing this probably um, in a from a hole in the ground. I mean, that's what prisons were like, at least the prison he was in. Um, and, and probably after a pretty severe beating. So he was suffering. They were suffering. They were concerned about their future. They were concerned about his future. And will they be with him? Will they not be with him? And he says, for this reason, I bow my knee and pray. And let me just stop right there. What would you pray for? I mean, we're in that kind of, we're in that kind of context, so to speak. Like, you know, we're in a context where we're kind of unsure where things are going to go and, and there's pain and there's suffering and there's threat. You know, I think we pray for relief. If I, I mean, if I was Paul, I mean, I'd pray for keys to the prison <laughs> or like, God, why don't you do that thing you did in Philippi? You know, when you kind of busted us all out, you know, remember that? Like, why don't you do that again? Um, you know, we, we wouldn't pray for these things, but this is what he prays for. These people are crushed. They're under the weight of many discouragements, but he never once prays for anything external. He never says, hey, relieve their pain, you know, uh, make them well again, you know, let, you know, let them have better finances or get me out of prison. But rather, he prays that they would have a robust inner life. Now, it, again, it's not wrong to pray for the outer part to get better, um, you know, he, but that's not the priority. The priority here, he's saying, look, what you really need, man, if, if I'm bowing my knee, this is, what, this is what you need. You need to know God in a greater way. You need to know him more. You need to have this kind of strength. In other words, the reason why we are afraid and discouraged and distressed isn't because of COVID-19. It's not because of the threat that it poses. 
It's not that reason at all. The reason why we're fearful, the reason why we're stressed, isn't that our outer life needs to be more, but it's that our inner life needs to be more. It's why Paul was able to rejoice in 1 Corinthians 4. He says this, we don't need to lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away. He just concedes, like in life, things are going to happen. There are going to be things that we experience, uh, the stock market, disease, death, all kinds of things. Our outer life is always going to be at a threat. It's always going to be at risk. But look, look at this. He can rejoice because our inner self, this is, this is what's really important. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. So in other words, our inner self is becoming more and more and more. Paul is saying here pretty plainly that the Christian should both expect and seek out on a regular basis life-changing spiritual experiences of the love and joy of God. That's what he's saying here. He's like, I pray that you would have these experiences, that, that through the power of the Spirit, that you would know the height, the width, the width, the depth, of his love for us. And what's important really to understand really in the gravity of this text is that it's a prayer for Christians, which if that's true, and it is true, I mean, that's kind of puzzling. Um, for example, in, in Ephesians 3.17, he prays that, that, that Christ may dwell in their hearts. Uh, and yet he writes in Romans 8, if you're familiar with that chapter, it's just an amazing chapter. Uh, he says quite plainly that, that whoever uh, is a son of God has the spirit dwelling inside of them already. So he's in here he's praying that it, it may dwell, but in chapter eight of Romans, he says that it does dwell. Uh, he prays in this uh, verse, this set of verses, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. But in chapter one, it says that Christians who are united by Christ and faith are already filled with the fullness of God. He says the same thing in Colossians two. He says he prays that we uh, would be filled with God. Uh, here he says that Paul wants us to, he says that he wants us to draw close to God. But in chapter two, he says that we're seated in heavenly places, which, you know, you can't get any, <laughs> you can't get any closer to God than that, right? So what, why is Paul praying fervently for them to have something, he says elsewhere quite emphatically that they already have? It's because there's a difference between knowing something to be true mentally and externally and knowing something to be true experientially through your inner being. So let's just take a look real quick at verse 16. It says, it talks about the inner being, which is a synonym for the heart. Now in the Bible, the heart is is more than just the seat of the emotions. Uh, The heart is the seat for the will, for desire, um, your entire person, your mind, your emotions, it's your value system, it's everything. In other words, the inner being was like the center of you. It's the center of who you are. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to come to that central part of you. The Holy Spirit wants to come to that central part of you to empower you to do what? To have the knowledge of the love of Christ. And you may be thinking, well, doesn't every Christian already have the knowledge of the love of Christ? Well, yes and no, uh, because there's a difference to, be, to having knowledge. But what's, what, what Paul is saying is there's a knowledge, there's an, excuse me, there's an ability to know beyond knowledge. There's an ability to know beyond just the facts. For example, you can inherit a million dollars from an uncle that you didn't know that you had, 
And it could be legally yours. There's no question, you know, you know, your name is on the account. It's legally yours. You have legal rights to it. The only problem, it's the weekend and the bank is closed and you don't have your ATM pin. You don't have any checks. You could have all the money legally. Uh, all, you could have all this, the, the money that you could possibly want. It could be legally yours, but you're unable to access it. So if you're unable to access it, you could have all the money in the world, but you're not eating steak that night. You're eating ramen noodles. The money is legally yours, but it's not, it's not extensionally yours. It's not practically yours. Uh, I'll say it this way. The, the, having this, this access is not changing the way that you live. So we know that the steadfast love of the Lord, we know that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. But when trouble hits, we, we don't actually know it. And so we we get discombobulated because not because our outer life is wasting away. Paul says like that can go away. But if our inner life is being renewed, if it's becoming more and more and more every day, we can stand firm. This is so true when it comes to Christians. Christians kind of know that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And some days that's all you got. God, sometimes, you know, he feels distant and there's not gonna be this, this felt sense. And, and, and we need to do what Paul says uh, like he said to the Philippians, that we must hold fast to the word of life. So sometimes all we know is the facts. Like we just know what the Bible says and, and that's good and amazing. But God wants us to know beyond that. He wants us to have an experience of his love. For example, I could be reading, I could read a book about my wife, which would be great. You know, chapter one, her stunning beauty. Chapter two, her artistic mastery. Chapter three, her amazing taste in men. Short chapter, uh, but it's a good one. You should read it. But but better than reading facts about her would to be experience her presence. And that's what, that's what God wants for us. I mean, again, in, in John's gospel, verse 20, because uh, we get all hung up on belief, it says, but these things are written. That is the gospels. That, that is everything, excuse me, that's everything that John wrote about in his gospel. These things, the things that he wrote about Jesus, these things are written so that you may believe in Jesus. So having knowledge of Jesus is very important. Having belief in Jesus is very, very important. But that's not all there is. It says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, crucially important, but there's a purpose for it. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the goal is not belief. The goal is life in his name. Belief, belief is like the doorway, but you don't just stand in a doorway. You go through a doorway into his life. And that's what God wants for you and I. Yes, belief gives you access. It gives you the ability, but you got to walk through the door. You got to experience what he has for us. The work of Jesus makes us legally sons of God. The work of the Spirit makes us experientially sons of God. It's why the Ephesians needed this prayer. It's why we need this prayer. We have Christ's love, but we don't press into experience Christ's love. We know facts about God, but if we're honest sometimes, we grow bored of those facts. So we just become content to do things for God, or at least things that we think are for God. And yet there's no desire or framework or intention to get to know him. It's like what C.S. Lewis said. He said this, we're like kids in the ghetto who are content to play with mud pies because we can't imagine a holiday by the sea. God has so much more for us. We just have no idea what's out there. In fact, Paul says, man, it's beyond our imagination what Christ 
has for us. I mean, the living God of the universe sends out an invitation to be known, like, come know me, come come grow in confidence in your inner man, come let me fill your heart, let me fill you with an exhaustible amount of joy and peace, let me work in you, let me let, I, I want you to experience me. I want you to have me. I want you to know more of me. And we're like, nah, we're good. You know, I just, you know, I just don't want my kids to go crazy when they turn teenagers. Like, man, that's all I really want. You know, I, I just want to not cuss when I drive. Like, that, that's, what, that's all I'm really after. But God's like, man, I, I, I want to do some things in you. I want to do some things through you. But oftentimes we just get content to have the surface level. That's why Paul is like, man, he's pleading with us. He's like, I want you to know him. If you, if you want to get through this, if, if, you, if you want to face any situation in your life, you need to know him. Jeremiah prophesied to Israel, uh, but he was also prophesying to us when he said, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken God when they have built for themselves broken cisterns that do not produce water. And sometimes it takes difficulty to realize, man, we've been hanging on to the wrong things. That we've been, we've, been trying to, we've been trying to drink from broken cisterns that don't produce life. We've been working to get more in our outer life, but we've not been working to get more in our inner life. It affects how we pray. It affects how we relate to the church. It affects how we relate to the Bible. So we pray uh, for external things, but we don't pray for internal things. We, we treat the church like, you know, it's just, you know, it's just kind of where I go to get a pick-me-up, but it's not, you know, it's not the people of God. It affects how we read the Bible. I mean, I think if we're honest, we read the Bible, we, you know, it's like the newspaper. It's like, oh, I see here in sports that David killed Goliath. And then the obituary, okay, Lazarus is dead. Oh, wait a minute. No, he's not dead. He's alive now. But we don't read it. We don't seek it. We don't meditate on it. We don't sit with it. There's no communion with God. It's just empty routine. And that's why Paul is pleading with us. Paul here says he's praying, he's bowing the knee. And, and, and actually, it's, it's, it's kind of unusual for someone to bow their knee and pray in, in our culture, but it was really unusual then. In fact, everyone always pray, prayed standing. In fact, when you read, when Jesus would talk about like, hey, don't be like the religious people or don't, or, or, you know, because they stand and pray over here, when you stand and pray, so people would stand and pray. They didn't kneel and pray. To bow the, the knee was an unusual, intense emotion because he understood the value of an inner life. So, okay, what do we do? Well, we need to do this. We need to aggressively and intentionally seek it out. You know, Paul says in, uh, in Philippians chapter three, he's like, man, I, I haven't gained anything. Like I, I'm, I'm pursuing Jesus to know Christ, but I am pursuing him in such a way that I'm, I'm not counting my past as anything. Like if there's anyone in the world who, who knew God, it was Paul, but he's like, I, I'm setting that aside and I'm, I'm not looking at what I've attained. I'm, I'm not acting like I've already attained something, but I'm, I'm pursuing him. I'm going after him. And we need to be the same thing, which means that we don't leave our interior life to chance. You know, it says of Daniel, like he faced some pretty tough obstacles. I'd say being in a lion's den with intentionally, you know, hungry lions is a pretty, pretty difficult situation. And how is he able to withstand that circumstance? Well, he didn't leave his interior life to chance. It says that three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed and giving thanks to God. 
They discovered in the Bible of Hudson Taylor a bookmark, and on the bookmark was written a prayer he most likely prayed every day, and this is what it was. Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality. Not just remind me about facts about who you are, but make, make yourself to me a living, bright reality. In other words, like I, I, need, a, I need more of, a, of an inner life. I need, I need that to be uh, my experience. George Mueller said the chief duty of the Christian is to daily make themselves happy in God, to, to just to know experientially that God loves you and that he's with you and that he's for you and that he has good things for you. In fact, when Jesus would often try to calm our fears, anytime the disciples would get anxious, anytime he'd see people get anxious, he would say something like this, don't you know that you have a father in heaven who loves you? You know, the birds get taken care of. Don't you know that you have a father who will take care of you? The, the, the grass gets taken care of. It's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. How much more will you be adorned with beauty? Don't you know that you have a father in heaven who loves you? In other words, like, do you know in the very center of your being, not just up here, don't, not just that you can, you know, you can quote a verse and thank God that you can quote a verse, but that you know it in your inner being. We have to be intentional. We have to be aggressive. In fact, this word grasp is, is an amazing word. Uh, here it is. It's the Greek word katalambano. Um, I'd have, why don't you go ahead and say that in your, in your room just so every people can, other people can laugh at you as you try to say that. Go ahead and try to say that with your friends. Catalumbambo. And this is what it means. It's an aggressive word. It means to seize, to take possession of, to make it one's own. All right? Now, here's where it gets more aggressive. It, it means to overtake something, overtake someone, wrestle them to the ground, and rob them. All right, that's what the word means. And that's the word that Paul means when he says to grasp. In other words, that I want you to take this truth of God and I want you to grab a hold of it and I want you to wrestle with it until it's yours. Like I want you to, to, to grasp it, to, to own it, to, to feel it. And there are truths in the Bible that we need to wrestle with, that we need to take possession of until they're ours. Until that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know that we know. It's not enough to know in our head. We must wrestle with the word of God until its riches burst out into our life. We know in our inner being, we know objectively, we know the, the width, the length, the height, the depth of his love. For example, do you know the width of his love for you? The, the psalmist says this. The psalmist says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his sin from us. Like, does that move you? Do you, know, do you know how far that is? Has anyone ever measured how far the east is from the west? No, they haven't because it's immeasurable. God's love for you. This is what he's saying. God's love for you is immeasurable. Or let me ask you, do you feel that in your inner being? Or is it, oh, that's nice. That's poetic and it makes me feel good. Is it beautiful? Do you sit with it? Do you wrestle with it until it's yours? Or do you know how long his love is for you? Isaiah 59 says that his arm is not too short to save. He doesn't have one of those T-Rex arms, you know, like, like it's not one of those. It's like, you know, the girl from, the mom from The Incredibles, like one of those elastic arms that could reach around the world and grab you. There's, there's no one who's outside his depths, his length of his arm. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. 
Or do you know how deep his love for you? Philippians 2, Paul uh, tells us that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he stooped, right? The divine became human, uh, uh, but, but a human in a place of, not in a place of power, but of weakness. And it says that he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus becoming a human is like you and I becoming a slug. That's what he did. Do you know the depth to which he stooped? And he, and he did this by choice. It's, it's almost like he could have held on to his divinity or he could have held on to you and he held on to you. Do, do you know the depth of his love for you? Have you meditated with that? Have you grasped that? Have you wrestled with it until it's yours? Or do you know the height? Do you know how high he's raised you up? He has raised you up into heavenly places. Have you wrestled with that? Do you, do you know how, how, how high he's lifted you up with him? Like he hasn't just like removed your past, right? But he, he's taking care of your present and he's taking care of your future. In fact, right now, your position before God is in heavenly places. It's not, it's not defined by what you did last night. It's not defined by uh, the, the situation that you're in. It is defined. Your place with God is defined by being in heavenly places. Have you meditated? Have you, have you wrestled with that until it's yours? That's what Paul's saying. I don't know if we have any uh, uh, fans of the voice out there. I'm a little bit nervous to, to admit that, but I, I kind of am a fan of the voice. And uh, I love the fact that it's a blind audition. And I don't know if you've ever seen the show uh, before, but what happens is that all the judges sit on these red thrones, right? And they have this, uh, and with their backs to the singer, right? And, and, and once the singer starts singing, the judges have the choice on whether or not to choose them. Now, uh, to choose them, they, they, hit this, they hit this big red button uh, called the I want you button. And when they hit the button, the, the chair turns around and this, it flashes like, I want you. And it's this really cool moment uh, when it happens. But what's really amazing is when all four judges do it, um, like when all four judges turn around, it's kind of like a really big deal. You know, the, and, you, know, it's, you know, there's four judges that's flashing, you know, I want you, I want you. But what's the part I can't really watch, right? I mean, it's really hard to watch is when none of the chairs turn around. Um, I mean, the message is loud and clear, like, like nobody wants you. And, uh, you know, this person just put themselves out there in front of millions of people. And now they're experiencing this rejection. And to make matters worse, worse you know, the only person there consoling you is Carson Daly. I mean, like, if there was ever a job for Joel Olstein, it's like, right, you know, you can do it. Like, but anyway, watching this once, it clicked for me. And this is what clicked for me. Most people live their entire life performing in front of these blind auditions, trying to get someone who really matters to us to hit that I want you button. Many of us do this audition in front of, uh, you know, maybe it's in front of our parents. Like we want our parents to, to do this or, or, or we want a friend to do this or someone that we want to date or are used to date or, or maybe, maybe we're doing this in front of a pile of money. But here's what's so depressing about living that way. None of them actually have a button. Most of us spend our entire lives in front of judges who don't actually have a button to turn around and give us 
what we want, the validation that we want, the sense of righteousness that we all want and need. But here's the good news. The only one who has a red button has already turned around for you. Romans 5 triumphantly declares that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still making a mess of our lives, Christ died for us. While we were lying and cheating, Christ died for us. While we were living in fear, while we were expressing no faith in a God who says he would take care of us, Christ died for us. When Jesus sent his only son to the cross, God was hitting his, red, his big red button and the message is loud and clear. I want you, I want you, I want you. And if you've grasped this in your inner being, it changes everything. I mean, we're all freaked out right now and you know, for, I think for good reason. I mean, this is an unusual thing. COVID-19 is an unusual thing. And we're freaked out by, the, by maybe the 2 3% chance that something like this could possibly happen to us or possibly happen to someone that we love. But here's something that's even scarier. There's a 100% chance that you will die. There's a 100% chance that I will die. But if you know that you know that you know that you know that Christ loves you, you can face anything. Because this will come and go. This, this saying will come and go. Uh, you know, the world is filled with smart people. God's common grace is active. I'm sure this will happen. But that doesn't mean that something else won't happen or something else won't happen. So the key isn't to changing our outer life. The key is changing our inner life. When I first following God, I, I, there were no leadership roles, but I would spend literally, and this isn't the brag, but to actually say something quite tragic in my life. I would spend a couple hours a day just meditating over the word of God. And, and there built up a, a pretty strong inner life. And this carried with me through the years. But the more I began to lead, the more I, I could realize that I could preach just as good as sermons when I haven't really grasped the truth in my inner being. So over time, I slowly but surely started working more on my external than my internal. And this all came to head for me about three years ago. And I experienced something um, that my inner life couldn't handle. Um, I almost cracked. I mean, no one knew this. I mean, you didn't, no one knew this. I mean, the elders are close to me. They didn't know this. My wife really didn't know it until I told her. I was like a big oak tree that was beginning to hollow out from the center. But I encountered something that, that maybe my outer life was, was good enough to get by in, in certain things, but what was the pressure that was facing me, I didn't need a stronger outer life. I needed a stronger inner life. Now, God was gracious to me and he began to speak to me and began to show things and began to lead me back. He's good like that. He, he loves just to bring us back with his grace. And he showed me uh, something really, uh, it just hit me like a ton of bricks one day when I was reading uh, 1 Peter 2. He says, like new, it says this, like newborn infants long. I don't know if you have an infant, but they long for things. In fact, the, the, uh, the, the, they long specifically for food. In fact, if they're not longing for food, that's, that's kind of like a, a, a cause for concern. But one of the things that kids learn after they learn the word no, they learn the word more. 
And what they want more of is they want more milk. And when they long and when they drink milk, here's what happens, they grow. And here's where it may hit the, this is may where it, it, the rubber hits the road for you, is do you long? Do you desire? If you don't have an appetite, you're not going to eat. If, you're not, if you don't eat, you're not going to grow up. And if you don't grow up, you're not going to have a strong inner life. So what do you need more of? You need more of him. Well, how do you get more of him? Well, this is what he says. It says that we have to bow our knees. We have to surrender. I want to invite you this morning, wherever you're at, you're by yourself, you're with a group. I want to invite you this morning to surrender, to surrender to him. To, 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 that word before, before God means face to face. We're talking about surrendering to the very presence of God. And, and maybe this morning, I mean, you may, someone may say, hey, this is, you know, you're, you're in fear or whatever. Maybe watch a sermon. You're, you're watching this and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And this, this season, this COVID-19, this has got you thinking about what, what, where your hope really lies. And you've, you're beginning to realize that as the stock market goes down, as the fears get higher, your hope is going down. I want you to know about the hope of Jesus, that, that he's, he's, already, he's already died for you. He's already done it. All you have to do is say, I want to receive that. I want to grab a hold of what is truly life. I want to grab a hold of what is eternal. Trusting in Jesus will make you legally a son of God. And then we'd love to baptize you. We'll sanitize it. We'll get it all ready for you and put some nice clean water and we'll want to baptize you. Um, I hope that you make that step today. If you're by yourself and, and you're watching this and you receive Jesus, man, will you, will you contact us? Will you uh, message us so that we can know, so that we can follow up with you? Because you're going to need people. This is something that we comprehend with all the saints. Or maybe you're, maybe you're watching this and you're in your community group and you're like, no, I, I'm legally a son of God. I just don't feel that way. Jesus legally makes us sons of God. The Holy Spirit wants to make you feel like a son of God. And that's how Paul prays. Paul prays through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would experientially know this. And so what you need is you need an experience of his power. And so here in a minute, I'm, I'm just gonna pray for you. <laughs> I'm gonna pray for you through this camera, wherever you're watching, and through TV, through your computer, through whatever it is. And if you're all alone, just, man, hold out your hands and I want to pray for you. If, if, if you've got people around you, uh, maybe they could pray with you too. Uh, but before I do that, I just want to, I just want to reiter, reiterate just how important it is that you live this life out with other Christians. This, 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 this season, this, this um, threat, this COVID-19 threat, it's a crisis None like any other. I went through 9-11, but 9-11 actually drew us together. And, and the Sunday after 9-11 was like the best church attendance ever. But this is a crisis that's actually forcing us to be separate. And, and maybe more than ever, we're realizing how much we truly need each other. I mean, the, one of the worst things that we can do to the worst of society is we put them in solitary confinement. That's the worst thing that we can do to a human being is put them in solitary confinement. 
don't live your Christian life in solitary confinement. You need to do this with all the saints. You'll never experience the height and width of his love. But here's what I want to do right now. We're going we're gonna to close. I just want to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you, what Paul prayed, that you would experience the height, the width, and depth of his love. And this comes through receiving his spirit. You're like, well, didn't I receive the spirit when I believed? Yes. Paul said that you have fullness of Christ. I just want you to have more fullness. You're seated in heavenly places. I just want you to feel like you're seated in heavenly places. And that's what the power of the spirit does is that you receive more of what you already have, but you don't just know it up here. You know it deep down in your innermost being. So let me pray for you. Just hold out your hands. Father, I just, I just thank you that you sent your son to die for us to make us legal sons and daughters. And I just thank you that even now you're saving people through this great worldwide crisis. You are saving people. You are drawing people to yourself. Lord, it says in Psalm 91 that those um, who hide in the shadow of Almighty find rest. They find peace. They find what they're finally looking for. It's through a relationship with you. And Lord, I just want to pray for those who have that relationship, who just don't feel that close. I just pray right now by the power of your spirit, would your, would your spirit fall upon them that they would know, Lord, the width, or they would know the length, or they would know how wide that you have separated their sin from. They wouldn't just know about it, and that's nice, and I have it on a coffee cup, but they would know it, they would grasp it, they would wrestle with it through the power of your spirit. They would know the length. Many of us feel like we failed too many times. We don't know, we don't know that we know that we know that we know that your mercies are new every morning. May we know that. Lord, may we know the depth. Lord, can we we imagine, Lord, that that, that you became a human being? Can we imagine how far, can we know deeply by the power of your spirit, just how far you descended for us? And may we know the height. May we know that you just haven't brought us up a little bit. You haven't just brought us to ground level, but you've taken us all the way to heavenly places. And God, I pray that we, that, that we would all, that everyone watching this right now would know that experientially. Right now, come with power, with your spirit. Come upon us, Lord Jesus. You know, the Puritans called this, this experience um, like liquid love, like when receiving the Holy Spirit is like receiving, is like liquid love crashing on your dry soul. God, I pray, Lord, in this season, Lord, I pray more than anything, Lord, more than we need anything, Lord, we need a robust inner life. It's coming, it comes through an experience of you. I pray for that for everyone watching. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today.